0: We are going to try to do chapters 20 and 21 um, today. And after, see, the way Yoshua works is that up until chapter 12, we're talking about conquest. And from chapter 13 until now, until chapter 21, we're talking about division of the land. So the essential division of the land of the 12 tribes, we already did up until chapter 19. Now 20 and 21, are going to focus on the cities of the Levium. The 20 talks about the the cities of of the, uh, cities of Refuge, the Iranian clock, which is a very interesting topic. And I forgot to open that, I'm gonna open that tab and then we'll be able to look at it. And then um, chapter 21 is the rest of the cities of the Levium. So I'm just gonna minimize us for a minute because I forgot to open the chumish here, which will help us a lot. Um okay. Okay. Now now I'm gonna go back and then we can screen share. Where are we? Okay. So now I'm going to screen share, and I will show you what's happening. Okay. So let's start here, which is what we usually do. First, parakhaf. We you know try for chaf and chafal. So peric chaf is a fairly short parak, and you see from this uh, presentation on this site that it's actually one major paragraph. See Pasuk Aleph till Pasuk Tet, nine Psukim and it's all the same story. This is the story of the uh, cities of refuge that Yeshua set aside. And it's um, it's quite a fascinating thing. And I'm gonna, sh- we're gonna look in the Chumash and see how how uh, we've expanded the whole story here. And then Pasuk Chaf Aleph, uh, which we'll do soon, you'll see that per Kaval has a lot of different stories. And it's very, very long, and it's up to verse 43. But the truth is a lot of it, let's say, from verse um, 9 until verse 40, it's lists of cities. So hopefully we'll be able to get through these two chapters and explain it. What I'd like to do is go first to the Chomish in Bamidbar, and show you the, the general story here. <coughs> I like the Chabad site because I have English and Hebrew at the same time. And if you want, you can have Rashi. So, Perik Lamid Hay in Bamidbar. This is Parsha Massey. We're, we're heading there, I think, this week already in Hukat. In America, you're still holding by Korach. I don't know, eventually we'll catch up. To each other, okay. In Pasuk Aleph, we're talking about from Pasuk Aleph until Pasuk Ted here, we're talking about dividing out cities for, for the Levites, and this is what we're going to discuss in Chapter Twenty One in Yeshua, right? Uh, Shem speaks to Moshe, uh, command the Jewish people, and give the Levites cities to dwell in, and fields for the cities of surrounding them for the, for them, and that's where they're going to live and in the fields will be for their livestock and for their um, property. And they will each have around the cities, they're going to have, um, uh, it's about, two, I think, what, what's the moat says here, uh, 2,000 cubits around each city. So the city is a, it's a complex where people live inside and outside their these fields. And there's going to be 48 of these cities. And you'll give to the leave six cities of refuge where a, um, a murderer will run. And then there'll be 42 other cities. Okay, now the story of the, the accidental murderer in the Chumash here, which you are looking at about mid bar Lamed Hay, starts in Pasuk Tet, in Lamed Hay. And Hashem says to Moshe, I'm giving loose translations here very quickly, speak to the children of Israel and say, you're crossing the Jordan, coming into Canaan, you will um, set aside cities, cities of miklat, and a murderer who kills someone by accident will flee to that city, and these will be a refuge for him from the Redeemer and he will not die, the, the murderer will not die until he stands in judgment before the congregation. So basically, the, the concept here is a very interesting one. It's something we never heard of. You know, we have like in, in Western society, we have different ways of dealing with this most serious issue. But the Torah says if you have a person who kills someone by accident, they have to have a place to run to and they will be safe there. The the person that they're running from is called the Goel Hadam, the redeemer of the blood, and that's the relative of the victim who is incensed by this murderer and wants to kill him. So the Chumash goes into a lot of detail about how these things might happen, gives you examples. Um, This is Bamidbar Lamid Hey, Pasuk Yedalit, you're going to have six cities, three on each side of the Jordan, and they will be appropriate for anyone who lives in Israel, not just um, not just the uh, Jews, but the people who are ger Toshav. And Tetsayan begins to give you details. Okay, so we're going to talk about true crime, right? If he strikes him with an iron instrument and he dies, he is a murderer and he shall be put to death. And if he uh, kills him with a rock, he's a murderer, right? And he'll be put to death. Or if he has a, um, a wooden instrument and he hits him with that and he dies, he's a murderer. Different, you know, murder weapons. And the redeemer of the blood will kill the murderer and he can kill him. Now, in Pasukov, if he pushes him in hatred, or throws something at him and hunts him at and he dies, right? Um that's where he strikes him with hatred and dies, right? The the goal had done, the redeemer of the blood will kill him. And this is the case of what we would call in modern terms premeditated murder. There <inaudible> was a horrific case um, that I just uh, I kind of obsessed over it that I heard about that happened in New York, a young girl, uh, perfectly normal-seeming normal, normal seeming girl. Uh, she seems to have had a fight with her boyfriend, She was about to get married, she was in, I don't know the story too well, but she pushed this old woman, she's had a fight and she ran out, she saw this old woman, she pushed her really hard, and she fell on the floor, the woman lived long enough to say that she'd never been pushed so hard. And she uh, she lost consciousness and she, she died, and it's a horrific story because you know it's a young girl who's not like a murderer, not a crazy person, but human life is so unimportant to her that she can shove an old lady, and that results in her death. And the the line, unfortunately, between life and death is extremely, extremely narrow, and accidental death you know, we have, we have different categories of it. So the, the Torah here is trying to give us a sense of when it's an accident and when it's not an accident, and how do we deal with the different cases? Obviously, every case is going to be different, but let's take a look how the Homer says, if suddenly, right, that's a cuff bet, if suddenly, accidentally, without malice, he pushes him or he throws something on him without hunting him down or, or, or with such some rock or anything, without seeing, and it falls on someone and he dies, he is not his enemy. He didn't try to hurt him. The congregation will judge between the striker and the redeemer of the blood, and the congregation will save the murderer, the accidental murderer, from the hand of the Redeemer of the blood and return him to his uh, city of refuge, where he fled there, and he will dwell there until the death of the Kohen Gadol, who uh, was anointed with the holy oil. Chabab, and if the Yotzeach, the murderer goes out from the Amiklat and the Redeemer of the blood finds him, and he kills him in Lodom. The redeemer of the blood is not culpable for killing the accidental murderer. If he's not in the earm clock, it's his own fault. And these will be the laws: any person who kills someone, he needs. A, oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, so the, the uh, accidental murderer has to have witnesses. This is a very complicated thing in Jewish law. Lamanov is very important. You cannot ransom the murderer, right, who is a, um, guilty, who is amazing, who did it on purpose. He must be put to death. And you cannot ransom the accidental murderer and say, if I pay off the family, maybe I can go home and not sit in the Irmaqlat. No, he has to stay in the Irmaqlat until the death of the Kohen. And, uh, and you shall not uh, pollute or corrupt the land with blood and uh, defile the land because it's Hashem's land. Okay, that's the basics of so you. Let's go to the Navi okay Let, let's just I just want to uh, explain the parameters of this thing okay so if you have the, this discussion what I'm, I'm telling you now is taken from the Gemara and Makos where we have the long long discussions and various things and if we have a chance I'll show you inside I have that open and basically what the what the Gemara talks about this this uh, accidental murderer, it depends, a lot depends on the degree of um, accident, let's call it. Okay, what do I mean? Let's say, let's say you're driving your car, and somebody jumps out in front of you, and you can't stop, and you God forbid, kill them. How much of that is your fault? The person jumped in front of your car. So th- this is a case where uh, you, know, you, you didn't have a chance to stop. It's not like you're driving carelessly or you, you made some mistake. You didn't have a chance to stop. Someone jumped in front of your car and they shouldn't have been there. And you just uh, you know the, being in the wrong place at the wrong time. So these things happen right, e da. then you have a case, let's say, of a person who's driving under the influence, right? And he hits someone and kills them. This is a whole different degree of culpability here. You shouldn't have been driving under the influence. And anything that happens is basically your fault. So the, you know the Western court system will We'll judge that based on this scenario, but I'm just giving you examples of how complicated it could be. Or uh, car accidents definitely is something where you know there are so many degrees of where a person could be culpable. Um, We had a story, someone we know who was a bus driver. And um, he drove bus to Mayrone many years ago, many years ago, and um, he fell asleep or something, and two women were killed in that accident. Um, he went to jail, he lost his uh, bus driver's license, and of course, this, you know, was a terrible shadow on his life, but you know who puts people to drive when they're tired, who gives people these roots? There's a complicated situation here. Now, the way the hazal give examples, the, the classic examples, if a person is chopping wood and they have um, a uh, an axe. And uh, let's say the, the axe breaks in, the, you know while he's using it, and the head of the axe like flies off and kills somebody. That's, you know, that's the kind of accidental murder that the Hazal talk about. Let's say if he's swinging the axe backward and somebody walks into it, right? If you see people with axes, you should step away, right? Or if you, um, or if he's, you know, about to hit the axe forward, it's a lot more, he's a lot more culpable if the, you know he's not, if he sees what's going on then if something happens behind him and his ex you know breaks and, and kills someone behind him. So you see there's like a lot of degrees here. now the the beit Din is going to have to determine are we dealing with a person who absolutely is an onase like someone jumped in front of your car uh, you you couldn't have stopped it. there was no way you could have stopped it. The person was suicidal, let's say, Jalonega, right? So that's an ones. And if that's the situation, he doesn't need to go to Yemi right? He's patur. But if the Baitin determines that he is culpable for negligence or, you know, whatever you want to call it, then he has to go to Yemi And if he is Guilty, and he did something on purpose, and he's just hiding out in the air because he thinks he's going to save himself. Then that person uh, deserves a death penalty. Those are the general parameters of what we're looking at. So let's look at the navi. Okay. First of all, this is a very weird formulation. The Malbim talks about it and says, notice here, this combination of words, and the Malbim says, and I trust the Malbim, this is the only case in the whole Tanakh where this phrase is used not with the word Moshe. We've seen many. The only time that we have this language when it's Yoshua. Not much. Okay, so the Gemara in I'm, I'm going to have to scroll a little bit with the, with the, with the, I was able to find it for you with, here, with English, Steinsatz, so you really great. Okay, so it's, it's continued from the previous page, the Lashon Aza. Okay, this is really terrible, all these phones, I'm going to put them away. There's absolutely nobody home besides me to take the calls. Okay, so what's lashon azza? Now, if you know Hebrew grammar, you know that there's such a thing as a paal, right? That's a regular verb, and pl, which is called an intensive verb. So amar, amar is a paal. All paals have a softer tone than pl's. Deber is a pl. So, generally speaking, when the Torah uses the word "diber," it's stronger language. and the Gemara calls it strong language. So, you have here, <clears throat> So, the Gemara says something astounding here. It says, "Why do we have this language, right?" Because this language is giving us Torah laws, right? And here, in the case of Yeshua, you're also getting Torah laws. Really, really, Torah laws are only giving in the Chumash. And once Moshe died, and that was the end; the Chumash was closed. So, although Navi and Ketubim are very, very important, the laws of the Torah are limited to the Torah. But here. the the Gemara is telling us that actually this is a Torah law. And this is a Torah law that started, it started back in the Chumash of what I showed you, and it continues here. And there are things added in this passage that actually have the force of Chumash and Torah law. And this is a great merit for Yoshua because he is now being elevated to a place where only Moshe has been, right? Okay, so give, speak to the children of Israel and tell them, give cities of refuge, like I told you in the hand of Moshe. So what does that mean? Give cities of refuge. And uh, apparently the, the first question we have to ask is, why are we getting this situation now? And one of the reasons is because up until chapter 19, we had the division of the land, and now each tribe has... Their property, they, their their Nahala. And now they have to separate within their nakhala cities for the Levite. So this is a command that they couldn't do before because it wasn't their nakhala yet. Now it's their nakhala. So if you figure 48 cities and 12 tribes, you could do the math, right? That means approximately every city, every tribe had a, gave approximately four lady cities in total. I'm including what we're learning in chapter 21. So four cities per tribe, it didn't work out exactly because certain territories were more fertile and, you know, they were, they were better suited and there's uh, complications there, but the general idea is that they have to give it now. And the question is also, um, uh, (coughs) that the, The, the Indian, the matter of murderers seems to have been a tremendously important uh, thing that had to be discussed and had to be figured out. My camera is doing weird stuff. Am I blurry to you? (laughs) I don't know why. Uh-huh. A little, but we can still see you. All right. Uh, usually, it adjusts itself, but it does that. Okay. So, so we have this thing to, to give the tribes. Uh, the tribes have to give the cities, and we start with the three cities of uh. uh refuge on the the west bank and the east bank. how does this work? Okay. <speaking Spanish language> For these cities that you have to set aside, the cities of refuge, are for a murderer to run, to flee. Make nevishbishgaga, a person who killed someone by mistake, bivli das without knowing, right? Without intention. And this is going to be a refuge from them for the from the redeemer of the blood. And understand that. Bishkaga is one thing, and Bibli Das another thing. Sometimes there is das, and sometimes there, you know, it's like I said, there are many, many gradations of these situations. Okay, here's here's where we have additions that didn't appear in the in Bamidbar. He will flee to one of these cities. And he will stand at the gate of the city, which is of course the gate of the city is where the the judges and the important people congregated. And he will speak in the ears of the elders of the city his words. In other words, hi, you know, I'm, you know, um Joe from wherever. From the city and from this tribe, and this is what happened. And uh, they'll ask him questions, get his story. And they will gather him into the city, lay him to them. Pasek dal is extremely interesting here, right? They will gather him into the city to them and they will give him a place and he will dwell with them. So very interesting, there must have been in these six cities some sort of housing set up for these refugees to come and he dwells with them. Now I I can't keep showing you the Gemara, but the Gemara discusses that it seems that this person lived there rent-free. He didn't have to pay. Which is an interesting thing. And there are other discussions how his family came with him and uh, he, he's settling there. The um, the Mishnah also says, uh, right, uh, um, he has to stay there, right? He doesn't have any choices. So they have to give him a place to live and they have to take care of him. And it seems that he didn't have to pay for that. This was set up. And if if the Goel Hadam pursues after him, they are not allowed, in modern Hebrews, to extradite. They're not allowed to give over this murder in his hand. Because he killed this person without knowing, without attention. Bivlidat means here, you see up there, we said that. Bivlidat below Didn't mean anything. There's a mistake. He had no animosity toward him. It was an accident, right? And here again, these are are, uh, filling out the story that we saw in the Chumash. New laws to understand, right? He's going to have to stay in the city until he stands before the uh, congregation and is judged. Ad motz kohen Okay, until the kohen gadol dies. Now Rashi clarifies this a little bit unclear pasuk above, and Rashi clarifies, imi When he stands in judgment, in other words, there's this pause between mishpat um, until the death of the kohen gadol. He stands for judgment if he is not. Uh, obligated to be in Galut, he is not obligated. In other words, because it sounds a little funny, it says he'll sit in his, his, this city until he stands before the, the congregation for for judgment until the death of a Kohen Gadol. And Rashi's saying, after the judgment, if he's judged that he must be in the Amiklat, then he has to stay until the death of the Kohen Adol. And that Kohen Adol that is in those days. And then the rotzeach, the murderer, el the el be After the death, this is after the death of the Kohen Adol, he can return, the murderer, the accidental murderer, <coughs> come back to his city, to his home, to the place where he fled from. <coughs> now. This is basically the story of what happens to this accidental murderer, and there's a lot of very uh, important stuff here. Um, Let me just see if I hear the chinah. The roots of this mitzvah, because the sin of murder is very, very serious, because it, it is the destruction of a world, until our sages say, right, <coughs> that a person who murders someone intentionally, even if he did every mitzvah, he is not saved from judgment. As it says, Adam B'adam Nefesh Adbor Yanus Aliyut Mahuba, a person who is involved in the blood, right? He can run away, but no one should support him. And therefore, it is appropriate that a person who kills. Even accidentally? Because this terrible, horrible thing happened, this this uh, destructive thing happened because of him. She <laughs> that he should feel the pain of Galut. <laughs> which is as terrible as the feeling of death. She <laughs> that he's separated. From those who love him and from the lands of his birth, the Shokin and he must live all his days with strangers. Okay, so the first thing that this is the Sepharfina, Aaron Levi, who gives different reasons why this was happening. And in this passage, he's saying, Why does this if it's an accident, this is our question, it's an accident? Why are we giving him this harsh punishment that he has to go to this place for we don't know how long? We don't know how long he has to stay there. The death of the Cohen Gadol is a completely godly decision. It doesn't have anything to do with him. It could be one day, it could be one hour, it could be 50 years, but he is separated from his place and his people. Now, the Gemara does talk about his family going with him, and, but the, the truth of the matter is that we, who are jet-setting all over the world at all times, perhaps don't understand the finality of a galut like this in those times. He left and he probably didn't see his people again, which very likely. So it is a very, very great thing. And the chinuch is saying, a person who caused an accidental death has to feel the pain of galut as a punishment because uh, there's some degree of negligence involved. Now, Furthermore, this is a a tikkun. This is a fixing with this mitzvah that he will be saved from the redeemer of blood who won't kill him if he didn't mean anything because it was an accident. In other words, we are now saving his life. So that's the second uh, Toela, the second purpose for this mitzvah, and the third thing, and here is something so interesting and so sensitive that the relatives of the person who died, right, will not see the person who killed their loved one, day in and day night. The holdekei Torah Noah. This person accidentally, okay. And I know these stories. Somebody uh, I know, whose, you know, a loved one was in an accident. Was a very very freak accident, and the driver of the car lives in the same neighborhood. It was uh, very painful to see this person walking around, and in the grocery, and in the shool. So the Torah is, the is saying one of the things that benefits that the entire hebra is that this person is put away and not, not able to cause further pain to the relatives of the victim. That's interesting. Okay, um, getting back to our text, a few, a few other things I wanna ra- raise here. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that I don't, I didn't, I wasn't able to find this for you. Um. Okay. okay, an interesting question arises. Okay, let's go through the next few seconds, and then I'll show you. We begin in perakhof we begin to see the, the division of the land of the cities of refuge okay so number 1 <speaking in Hebrew> Elaha uh, you mu mu'adim determines uh, specified the for all the Jewish people and those who uh, live amongst them. And this is where the person who caused an accidental death, right, should flee to that place and will not die by the hands of the redeemer of blood until. His judgment. Now, I want to show you the map. Okay. The Dot Mikra map. Make it a little bit bigger. Okay. So, the three cities on the East Bank in Rubain, we have a city called Betzer. And we're going up, right? In Gad, we have a city called Ramot Gilad. You'll find these places mentioned in the Tanakh at different places. And the third city is Golan Babashan, which is the territory of the half-tribe of Menashe. And of course, the term Golan is of course something that we have till today, and that's where the Golan Heights are. Now, if we look at the cities on the um, on the West Bank, okay, we have i um sorry, we have Kedesh in Naphtali, that's all the way up here. Kedesh. And that's Naphtali, and we have Shem, which is in Ephraim, right? And we have Chero, which is in Yehuda. So you see the way they're spread out, three in each uh, on each side. And what's going on with this, right? The the, um, the question I wanted to ask here, right? This is, um, I. It's just easier for I just tell you this, the questions and don't have time to go into the Gemara there, but the Gemara and Makot is where all these discussions are found. And if you, if you Google it um, with Chabad, you can get the English and the Hebrew together in the Steinzelt if you're interested in looking at it. And it says, why three on this side? and why three on this side? Does that make any sense? There's only two and a half tribes on the East Bank, and there's nine and a half tribes on the West Bank. So shouldn't it be more cities of refuge on the West Bank, in other words, right? Should be according to the population. And he says, he quotes Hosea Gilad Kiryat Pole Oven, Akuva Midam. Gilad is a city of evil people, and it is, um, they track their bloody footprints, right? They try, they're looking to kill people. And the Teferit Yisrael, which is a commentary um, in Germany, or Yisrael Lifshitz on the Mishnah, says they were Murray Nefesh in Gilad. This is Gilad. And this is actually interesting because uh, later on, we'll see that Yiftach, when he is embittered, he ends up in Gilad. right? They were Murray Nefesh, Mechur hot-tempered and embittered people. And they would ambush people to kill them and they would go after them and find them and kill them. So therefore they had needed a lot of Awe Mikla, right? To save, to save it. Now that's really interesting because what would be your question? And we were saying that on the East Bank there were more murderers. So we needed more cities there than you would think because it was only two and a half tribes. What's the problem with that? Wait a minute, wait a minute. All these evil and bitter murderous people are not accidental murderers. They're homicidal, right? So how does that fit? And here comes an interesting thing. The uh, Chazal say, again, in the Gemara Marcus. what happened? People would pretend that they were accidental murderers. They would do their dirty deeds, right? Right, so <laughs> I said, hashtag true crime. They would be embittered, they would hate somebody, they would kill them, and then they would go to the ear and say, I'm so sorry this terrible accident happened to my dearly beloved friend, and it wasn't my fault. So then they have to take him in the ear until the time of judgment. And at the time of judgment, it will hopefully come out that this person actually hated the person that killed that was killed, right? But this is what happened. So uh, another thing that I wanted to share with you is the Dot Sofrim on this. Right. The Dot Sofrim says, why did we need the Awe mikvat now? Why? And he says, because people became it, it, it's a part of the comment. He says, people became callous after fighting all these wars, and they became desensitized to human death. And as a result, the Torah says, now we have to make sure that we deal with this, because everyone has to know how serious it is, how totally terrible it is to cause another person's death. And therefore, as as a result of that, we're emphasizing the meklat. the person should be so careful, because what happens? What's the real truth? If you really, really, really are worried about something, if you really, really care about something, going to be very, very careful. There are so many laws in the Torah to put a fence on your roof, you know, to, uh, to, to avoid, you know, um, bloodshed if you see someone in danger, you're supposed to help them. If you, you, you're supposed to be so careful with human life. So I guess one of the first lessons we have to learn is that so much tragedy can be prevented if people are really careful. And one of one of the greatest, you know, there's today. You know, it's it's almost horrifying how little people care. Like just, you know, I I think that in Israel things are a little more. same at this point but sometimes I wonder when I hear the statistics that are coming out of cities different cities in the states I wonder like what is going on there and I say Rak en they took religion out of schools over there and pe- the place comes you know wild so our first thing to remember is that human life is precious human life is precious and we must do everything we can to preserve it And we have to have this fear of causing harm. In the case of Yaakov, when Yaakov is meeting Esav, it says, and the Chazal say, he's afraid to be killed, and and he's pained at the thought that he might have to kill. So we have this obligation to bear this always in mind and to think about. being super, super care- careful to avoid dangers and to be super, super nervous about causing harm to others. Now, we um, went through a lot of this, okay. The simplest explanation, or sorry that I gave you the complicated explanation about the many murders, the simplest explanation for the three on each side is that it doesn't matter really how many murders there are, there has to be access. And one of the things we'll see in chapter 21, which I hope we'll get to in a minute, is that there were really all the 48 lady cities were really cities of refuge, but but only if the person actually went there to look for refuge. Now, another important point here, um, let's just finish this paragraph. Oh, we me finish the paragraph. Okay. I didn't even realize Pesach 10 is the end of it. Another important point to think about is the death of the Kohen Gadol. What's the deal with the death of the Cohen Gadol? Why is that the criteria? So first of all, it's a mysterious thing. This is not like you know, 10 months in jail, 10 years in jail. This is something that only a Kaddish Baruch Hu can determine. And a Kaddish Baruch in his infinite wisdom is going to decide how much time those accidental murderers have to stay in the Erem Klaat. And Hashem is going to decide how much time the Kohen Gadol gets. But it's a very, very fascinating Gemara and Mako. I'll show you. OK, here. Therefore, the mothers of the Kohen and Gadolim would provide the exiles with sustenance and garments so they would not pray that their sons die. How amazing is that? But Kohen though once he dies, this guy is free. So he's gonna dab in, but he dies. Right? But we say in the in the you know, uh the, the thought is Chinam um loyavo, a, a curse without uh any cause will not come, but it does say it will come, right? It's not so clear there. It's loyavo or loyavo will come to him or will not come. But the mothers were concerned, the mothers of the Kohen Godel would help the people, the more comfortable their lives in the city of refuge, the less urgency they would feel to leave, and the less likely they would pray for the death of Cohen Okay, so what's the deal here, this whole discussion here, I think we're a long discussion here, and here Here's the passage. Right? Isn't it written that the curse that is baseless will not, you know, will not happen? Why does the Mishnah express concern over baseless curse? An elder said to him, I heard in the lecture delivered by Rava, very famous passage, that it's not a baseless curse because the Kohen Gadol has a certain amount of guilt. Isn't that interesting? They should have pleaded for mercy for the generation that no murder should transpire even unintentionally and they did not plead. Due to their share of the blame, prayers for the death could be effective. A fascinating, fascinating passage of the Gemara. What does this mean? This means that the Kohe, who the Kohen Gadol once a year puts on his beautiful big Zekahuna, goes into the Kodesh Kadashim right, on Yom Kippur. And he has there the koa, the power to daven for the generation, that there shouldn't be any deaths, accidental deaths, that there shouldn't be any sins, that there shouldn't be any tragedies, that there shouldn't be any avodahsarah, right? And if he didn't do that, then he's culpable. And therefore, if someone dabins for him to die, that Tfilah has power. So much power that the mothers would run around trying to be nice to these guys, so they shouldn't have them for that. If they're happy in the air, maybe they wouldn't want the Kohen Gadol to die. So our second lesson here, and it's a huge one, Tfilot are very important. The Tfilot that the Kohen Gadol did not give were critical to his status and to his innocence or guilt, and it's the filoda. of these accidental murderers are so powerful that the mothers are running all over themselves to make sure that they don't die. So we have to remember this. I actually had an, an amazing email today from a neighbor on our neighborhood list. This woman has a twin sister with terrible cancer, and she asked the people, the sister's not religious, and she asked the people in the neighborhood to dive in for her sister, and she just wrote, her sister feels the Tfilot, and she's feeling better, and she's, tell your friends, I'm so grateful. Never ever stop davening, because davening is so powerful. This not religious woman is feeling the Tfilot of her sister's friends, it's an amazing thought. So there you have that, the Kohen Gadol. The Gemara has other things to say about the Kohen Gadol. That what's the connection between the Kohen Gadol and the murderer? The mur- murderer brings brings death, right? And the Kohen Gadol brings life. He atones, right? And the, the, the murderer brings corruption and tumma and defilement. And the Kohen Gadol brings tara. So there's a connection there, which is a very interesting thing. So that's something for us to remember, right? How how critical that is, right? Now, getting to Parachaf I we don't have a lot of time. But yikshu rashi abo ta-levi'im el-Elazar kohin del-Yoshu bin-no'n del-Rashe'a abo ta matot The heads of the Levi'im came to El-Elazar and to Yoshua bin and um, And now we're going to have the discussion of the cities, these cities. Now notice that it happens first in Shilo until Shilo is established, which happened Um, A couple of chapters back we saw that Shiloh was established. You can make a carbon anywhere. Now we have a central place of worship. The Kohen and the Levi are ready to resume their duties. And now we're going to go ahead with that. And they say now we need to have places to live. And each tribe has to designate their cities. Pasig now, the Levi's cities were divided into four sections, okay? There are three children of Levi, Gershon, Kahat, and Merari. Kahat, right, is the family that eventually becomes the kohenim But there's many of Kahat who are not kohenim So the way it's divided in this parak is that first we give the uh, cities for the Kohanim, the, the sons of Kahat, and then we give the cities for the sons of Kahat who were not Kohanim. So the first uh, Goral was in Yehuda, Shimon, and Binyamin, 13 cities, and the rest of Kahat, Quasekei, Mi Mishpacha Matzei Efraim, D'an, Ma'chatsi menash Menasheva, Goral Arim as 10 cities, for the Mei who were not Kohanim, Right? They had in Ephraim and in Dun and half of Menashe. So we're moving up because we had before Yehuda, Shimon, and Binyamin. If you look at the map, right, Yehuda, Shimon, and Binyamin were in the south here. That's where the Beit HaMigdash eventually sat. So the Kohen Him had to be in that central area. The next charge of Ephraim and Dun is not on this map. I'll go back to here right, Ephraim, Dad, and half of Menashe, we're moving up, that's where the other Bnei Kahatra, who had the second level of uh, very uh, great Avoda in the Mishkan, in the Mikdash, and then the sons of Gershon, got in Issachar, this is Pasig Vav, Asher, Naphtali, and the half of Menashe on the east bank, 13 cities, and those of Merari, for Ruvein, God and Zavulan, twelve cities. And this is worked out. Now Pasiktet begins the list of the cities. Um Kiryat Arba via Nakiro and all the cities around. Now here in Pasikit Alpha and Pasakit Bay, we clarify that although Kale got Hebron, so to speak, because if you remember that in chapter 14, but it was actually a lady city, and in fact it was a Cohen city, and it was an Irmaqlat, so it happens that the cities, the, the fields around it were Kaleves, and inside it was a lady city, and the sons of Iron got the Irmaqlat of Hebron and the uh, Livna, and then we're going to go listing cities, which I don't think we're going to do together, all the cities of the Bnei Arah, 13, and we're going to just skip down. Um, all the cities of the different tribes, some Mem Gimel, right? Hashem et And God gave, Pasik Mem Gimel Chafalet, all the land that he had sworn to give their fathers, and they inherited and they dwelt in it. <laughs> and Hashem gave them rest for all around, as he had sworn to their forefathers. And no one stood before them from all their enemies, all their enemies God gave in their hands, Mem <laughs> Nothing was missing from all the good things that Hashem had spoken to the children of Israel. Everything came. So it's very interesting. This is the last three psukim in our long discussion of chapter 13 till chapter 21 the division of the land, the settling of the land. And we sort of summarized with the sort of like, whoa, God did everything and he gave them everything he promised them and they had no enemies fighting them. God gave all the enemies in a hand. Nothing that Hashem promised right, did not happen. So now we have a question. Not exactly. It's not exactly like that. So how are we supposed to understand that? And the Ralbag here, right, says here's the Ralbag. Right? It mentions that everything that God promised He did, and everything happened. But he nays Ralbag has no trouble here. He says, even though we previously said. They didn't conquer this, they didn't conquer Shalai. they didn't conquer this, they didn't. It's not a contradiction, the Well Bag says, why? Anyone they fought, they won. Anyone they fought, they won. But Nisharu Elu it's not because of a Kaddish Baruch that they weren't successful. It's because they, they did not accomplish what they needed to accomplish. So, which is our, our, our lesson, definitely an important lesson here. Everything is Hashem. But without our Ishtalas, what are you going to do? We can't uh, expect God to do everything for us. This is a famous story of the man who's drowning, right? And a boat comes by and tries to rescue him. He says, no, no, God's going to save me. Right? And then a helicopter goes by and puts down a ladder. He says, no, it's okay. God is going to save me. Right? And an airplane goes by and lets someone down. God is going to save me. And then he grounds. And he comes up to Shemaim. He says, I don't understand. God. I, I, you said you would save me. Why would you save me? He said, God said, I tried. A famous joke, which is not so funny. So here... We have this beautiful Sikkim. Hashem says, Everything I said I would do for you, I did. I gave you everything you needed. I didn't let any enemy conquer. Everything you tried, you got. And if you didn't get it all, it's not my fault. You didn't do enough. And there's a, a, an indictment of the Jewish people here, a lesson for us to remember, right? We said before the power of prayer, yes. Davening is Ishtagas, by the way. And you have to do your Ishtagas in everything. You can't expect God to take care of things for you. Put one foot in front of the other and do your own thing. But remember that everything ultimately comes from Hashem. We have this very beautiful secret. One more thing I want to add is that the 48 cities of the Libyan, there are two very beautiful thoughts I wanted to share with you about the, the 48 cities of Libyan, first of all, the Mishnah says that the Torah nicknames right? The Torah is acquired in 48 ways. This is the Mishnah. So you have a correlation between the 48 ways of learning Torah, the 48 Lady cities, and the structure of the Mishkan had 48 bees. So the I, I actually put this together, and, and uh, one of the things I heard is that the the 48 ways has to do with the Torah. Now this was supposed to be when when Yaakov says he curses the the anger of Levi and Shimon and he says I'll separate them in Israel. So one of the things that that Yaakov wanted was that the koach the passion of Shimon and Levi this is what Yaakov he looked at the passion that inspired these two. They were the brothers of Gina. They're the ones who got things rolling. And he said, we can use that. We could use that passion for good things. They have to learn Torah. And if there are 48 cities all around, there's always Levium all around. And that's the 48 ways to learn Torah. And it's, well, 48 beams of the Mishkan. The 48 beams of the Mishkan are, structure of service. So there you have the libim, the Torah, and the Avoda. And I'll add another thought. The third pillar is gemilot chesed. And a, a very beautiful vort uh, on the libim is what did Levi, why did Levi get the name Levi? Because when Leah had her third son, she said Hapamila elai. now my husband will uh, accompany me because I gave him three sons. The lavot is to accompany this connection, there's closeness there. And the very beautiful commentary I'll have to find it um, about the beehm is that the beam were very, very mm-hmm. 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 And, The the Khinav, among other commentaries, is saying how beautiful the tribe of Levi are, and how perfect it is that they should be the ones to welcome in those refugees. And that is because they were refined in their midot, and they were gentle and kind people. And they didn't judge the refugees, they took them in and they took care of them. And that's, I think, the chesed part. So, I think we could put together the 48 cities, 48 ways of Torah, with 48 ways of Abodah in the Mishkan, and with the Chesed. So, we got a very uh, roundup here of why the Lebian were so central and why their cities were so important.